What's going on, everybody? Hope you all enjoyed that last episode. Today, I've got a special guest. I have Mr. Kelly Brown, the owner and founder of Bird Dog Waterfowl. What's going on, Kelly? How you doing? Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for jumping on. So, uh, go ahead, tell the people who you are, tell them what you're all about, and uh, give a little insight as to who, what's going on. Yeah, so let me uh, start at the beginning, I guess, and i uh been hunting for quite some time, number of years and everything, and um, I started Bird Dog almost, it was pretty much almost by accident. Um, not, not so much accident, but I just re- noticed uh, like a hole in the market where I, uh, you know, I was looking for a certain style of uh, hunting apparel, I would say, or just stuff to wear out in the field and uh, just couldn't find it anywhere just because I guess with the whole United States, it's just different areas have different styles and everything. And, you know, us being California boys, you got that different style. So I decided I'd just make my own kind of, uh, kind of deal. And then, uh, so I started wearing, you know, my own hats, my own, uh, shirts and everything. And people started asking, you know, where can I get this? And, uh, I was like, well, you can't cause I make it. <laughs> but so I realized that right then that people, they're like, I want to buy it. So I just started, uh, you know, created a little Instagram page and started doing that, started a website. And then from there it just went, uh, where we are now. And it just kind of snowballed. That's pretty cool, though, because essentially the starting out from <clears throat> ground zero, I mean, you could, because bird dog waterfowl essentially has stepped into a realm of an ever-developing and evolving industry. I think that, like you said, is typically bird dog waterfowl appeals mostly to the, the California hunt. I'm not saying that guys outside of California don't wear bird dog apparel. But I think that it kind of has a, its own swag. It's very unique in the sense where it has the ability to adapt across the whole nation. But, uh, man, it's definitely kind of set kind of a new standard is what I, I'm kind of seeing. You know, I mean, I drive through the valley. I hunt the refuges. I see more and more bird dog stickers. I see more bird dog hats, sweatshirts. You know, you guys have definitely kind of pushed pushed into a whole new realm i think of hunting apparel so congrats dude that's pretty killer thank you yeah that's such a cool thing to see too is uh just the amount of support that i got from it i mean the honestly i i'm sure there are people that talk negative about it but it really doesn't even reach me anymore like it's just the amount of support and everything from even like the local california guys to even out of state is has blown my mind because honestly the biggest um, uh, customers aren't even based in California like that numbers wise and that's just the, across the whole country Canada it has just like really shown love and I think it's it's not so much that that's their kind of style or something but they they see it as something fresh and a new take kind of on on a, our pastime, you know, that, which is waterfowl hunting. And, um, 
Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate all the love and support, especially from you. You've been around for supporting for since the beginning, you know, since I was a young little pup. And now uh, I think the name, too, kind of just, like, sticks with people. And um, so it it's just worked out really well. And I, I, I'm pretty blown away by it. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that personally is – you know, I have a chocolate lab who is my bird dog. I think that, you know, it, it encompasses a lot. Um, coming from a non hunting background is when you're out there and you're hunting by yourself, you know, is one thing, but when you start integrating a dog into it there, I think there's a whole nother bond to it. And I think that your company, I mean, you guys hunt dogs all the time. You know, a lot of guys, yeah. they want bird dogs, whether it be a waterfowl dog or an upland dog, you know, um, they definitely want that kind of bond. And I think that's something that's a little sought after when it comes to the hunting industry, you know? Right. So, that's a, yeah, that's a whole relationship that just is another layer on top of the whole hunting experience and outdoor experience is having that dog with you and creating that bond and you guys doing something, achieving a goal together, whereas you can, anyone can go out and take a gun and shoot a bird and go and grab it. But it's, it's that, that whole companionship and just, uh, closeness between you and, um, your, your partner who's working a hundred percent there for you. And it's just adds another layer of, awesomeness to to the experience hell yeah dude i mean i i mean i'll look at my dog and when i look at him and go hey you wanna he already knows let's load up in the truck we're going somewhere let's make it happen when i look at him and go you want to go hunting you know he's first to the door so yeah yeah it's, and that that's awesome yeah it's definitely a uh a, a bond i think a lot of guys are looking for and i think it's a it, dude, it adds so much to the hunt itself, you know, being able to go out there, work the dog, especially when it comes to, you know, not losing birds. I think that the probability of you finding birds with a bird dog as opposed to, you know, going out to the refuge, going out to your rice blind. I mean, there have been countless birds I've lost in the check at the rice blind, and you would think that something that's three foot wide, how could you lose something? Man, they get cutty, and they definitely know how to sit still, dive down, grab the undergrowth, yeah. and just bury themselves. But I think finding more birds is something that a lot of guys want to do. Because, I mean, nobody wants to sail a bird. Nobody wants to lose a bird. Because 90% of the time, they're probably banded. So <laughs> Yeah, I know. You know what? I think about that all the time, too. It's like... The one that got away or something that uh, you're like, that was probably a banded. That's probably a banded duck. Yeah. But the conservation, like dogs are such a great conservation tool in that sense also. They're just, I mean, they eliminate the, the whole kind of worrying about crippling a bird and then not being able to retrieve it or diving, you know, and they uh, <clears throat> up your percentage greatly. And uh, they're a great tool a great uh just added bonus to your experience and uh i i mean i wouldn't i if you don't have a dog 
you got to get one because it'll change your change your life out there really you i mean it opens up the possibilities to to places that you possibly wouldn't be even able to hunt because uh say the water's too deep you can't retrieve a bird right so which makes it good on public land also because you have a dog that up and other people don't then that opens up your possibilities to hunting somewhere where there's going to be less competition because you have that added uh tool in your belt basically yeah i mean it's uh it definitely adds a lot to that i uh, personally i'm one i hate sailing birds i hate losing birds from the conservation aspect i know i just talked about you know there's a chance probably banded but realistically at the end of the day you know we all have to be very ethical in our shots um and in our harvests so it's something that kind of a it's a little close to home we've lost a lot of birds and then once we started using dogs is dude our bird numbers skyrocketed yeah yeah so you will see the change you know you will see that that difference where you're instead of going home and be like yeah i got three and we lost four or something you're you're if you're lucky if you lose one you know with a dog i mean i mean they're just you get a good dog that's there with you and working and i mean you you don't i mean you just kick back and relax basically and they just they they love to to do the work and that's that's a great uh added bonus you know so yep cool all right dude so uh yeah my bad audio is kind of funky this uh this recorder has been kind of a pain in the ass these past couple episodes, so I might end up taking it out skeet shooting with me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, dude. So how's your how's your season been so far? How are you guys doing down there? Because we're uh, predominantly where do you hunt? Uh, predominantly, I'll hunt uh, North Grasslands, Los Banos area, Justine. You know that. That whole north, north grasslands area, <clears throat> and uh, it's been uh, wow, interesting to say the least. You know, I I think the the whole across the United States is kind of feeling a kind of funk uh, for the most part. You know, you hear guys slamming them this day and that day, but I think generally speaking, numbers are just lower everywhere right now and uh, definitely feeling it here I mean not to say that I haven't had good hunts here but I mean few and far between and I mean we're in we're beginning of January right now this should be like prime time epic uh, deal and uh, I'm just it's not exactly what I was hoping for but I was making the best out of it I mean Started started the season pretty strong. I went up to Klamath and hunted uh, Oregon for their opener for the weekend up there, and uh, did really day. Had our limits in a uh, couple hours. Shot a band, and uh, then went and did the next day. Hunted uh, dry dry fields at uh, Oregon side of. Tule Lake and 
got some specks and mallards in the um, barley fields, which was freaking awesome. You know, like, man, I've never really experienced, I mean, just the sheer number of birds that were, were there is astonishing. And I was hunting with my uncle. He lives up there, and he's just like, this ain't nothing. Just the numbers are so low, he's saying, because he's been up there for a long time. And he saw it in its heyday. And I mean, I'd pay good money to see the, that because he's talking about the sky blacked out because there's so many birds. Yeah. But uh, that was good. I mean, that was fun. Did that and then came back down and hunted opening day. Ended up being lucky and drawing a, a pretty good reservation. Um, shot um, some pretty good birds on opening day. And then uh, went that Sunday and shot really well. And then that Wednesday ended up doing really good. And then it, everything fell off and it pretty much shut down and got stale and, you know, and then you're just getting eaten by mosquitoes sitting there with your thumb up your butt basically for all of November. It felt like you get ones and twos and, you know, here and there, but nothing like I've, experienced in the past few years so i'd say this year is pretty uh pretty on the lower end of the scale which uh, i think i think that's kind of a trip honestly coming out because when you think about it this whole covid deal has definitely stopped hunters from going out of out of country you know i i know a lot of guys that had scheduled hunts across the states that decided not to go because of this COVID or there were travel restrictions or whatnot, you would think that we'd be just banging them up the whole season. But I, I totally agree, dude. This has been one really weird season. It's uh the, I think the lack of weather has definitely yeah. um, played a big role. I also think that, you know, maybe the amount of the lack of pressure has played a big role from pushing birds down from Canada into Washington. And obviously we hunt California. So I, I, I say this re- religiously. I think we see some of the smartest birds that the Pacific flyway has to offer. And I could just imagine because you hunt South of me, you know, I could just imagine yeah. what those birds are like down there. They're probably on a whole nother level of difficulty compared to us up here. So Right, right. It gets really strategic, you know, and you start, and that's when you start get second guessing yourself and doing all the, you know, these superstitious things and where you get into that um, with, I mean, yeah, it's, I agree though with the weather um, playing a huge factor. I know um, we haven't seen, I, I mean, it's been pretty cold, uh, California status wise, you know, um, but just the weather isn't there. It's it's been, I mean, the biggest wind I've seen lately is five eight mile an hour winds. Maybe you know if you're lucky, but nothing, nothing to be like, oh, this is this is ducky. And uh, I just talked to my uncle actually, and he's starting to see birds come back because the weather here is just so mild. And he's like, I'm shooting birds with. Uh, rice stained chests you know because they, they go down into the the rice land down there uh northern california and then 
they'll come right back up to Oregon. So I don't think we've ever gotten that real big push yet. And uh, we're running out of time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree, dude. It's a uh, talking to a couple guys up there. You know, I'm hearing the same thing. They're seeing rusty breasted birds and, uh, but they're also seeing, I mean, I, I think that we had a big push of early migrators, um, early in the season due to the lack of water up there. The situation in the lower Klamath Tule Lake region, I think has devastated the migration, but I think we saw a big push, man. And I think, I think they're here, but like you said, I think they're going right back up, you know, due to the yeah. lack of weather, dude. It's It's been tough, especially, I mean, we even have water problems in my side of the valley, you know? So there's, yeah. there's a lot of rice fields that aren't taking or don't have any water whatsoever. And uh, birds are either, they're flying right past us or they're coming down and going right back up north. So, yeah. It's, I I uh I actually heard a statistic that um, the other day basically basically I mean that the whole touching on that Tule Lake Klamath Basin being with the water and I mean even in California everything in the Pacific Flyway is pretty much related and dependent on the water situation uh, minus the permanent you know water or the the delta and all that where it's just permanent water. But these birds, they'll. I've I've heard that. I mean, our mallard population obviously is drastically decreased, and that has a lot to do with um, the Klamath. And what you're saying is they'll just skip over and pass over. But a lot of them are starting to use other flyways. Um, I heard on. I think it was I was listening to Ducks Unlimited or read something where they will just they'll start using another flyway, and. Basically, I think the Pacific Flyway is in a lot of trouble right now with just because of the political side of everything with the, the water and the, the rights to everything. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been rough. When I, I think a big part um, with the Mallard population, and I mean, don't quote me on this because I don't have any statistical backing with this, but, dude, I think, I mean... There, there was a big kill-off in Lower Klamath-Tule Lake. They're estimating about 60,000 birds. Whether, they're, yeah. whether, you know, half of those are mallards, like, that's a significant number that we will not see ever. So, yeah, we lost in botulism, right? Yep. And uh, originally, yeah. the number that I was looking at was 40,000, and I even thought that was crazy. Now they're estimating somewhere around 60,000-plus. So yeah. you could just imagine how devastating that is to our flyway to begin with. And that was, I mean, August, you know, July, August. These guys were picking up birds in June. Yeah. So. Yeah, they were saying that, I mean, I was up there at the beginning of October, and they said that the botulism, they didn't see the very end of it until the late October. So, I mean, even they said during opening weekend and for hunting and stuff that they were still picking up dead birds. They'd go out um, on uh, off hunt days or stuff, and he was saying that they pick up like a thousand birds a day. Jeez. In those in that later time before, till you start getting that frost. I I was listening to a whole thing, you know, and they're saying that um, 
I guess once it lives in the soil, it's there for for good. Hmm. So, and uh, the last time they've seen such a, a big outbreak has been since the 70s of this. So we've lost a lot of birds. And I don't know the species and everything, um, but I'm sure it has a direct impact on all of them in, in our flyway. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I also think that the... Um... When you start looking at it and you, you trace it back to around the 80s, um, you start seeing the development of agriculture, too, across the Pacific Northwest. You know, I mean, typically Washington, Oregon. Man, like we went up to Washington last year and every bird we shot was filled with corn, man. And then. Um, really? Yeah. It, dude. Yeah. I was I was blown away. We were cutting all the birds up and they were just filled with corn i think that also has a another that's another key component to the lack of migratory birds coming down here is the extreme lack of weather even you know washington oregon has had so if yeah if, why even leave right yeah i mean if they have they have water with the river and creek systems you know and they've got feed yeah. because it hasn't snowed all that much so this year's been a rough one man but uh you just gotta yeah, cherry, cherish every every shoot you can get out, you know. Yeah, I love those pictures, man, of you guys up there. That was, I mean, you guys, that's awesome. You guys slammed them on that Washington, right? Yep, I'll be uh, yeah, I'll be damned. My buddy uh, Mason moved up there. He, man, he he calls me one day and he goes, "I'm thinking about moving." Where, where you think I should go? I want to just crush greenheads, and I go, oh, you know, Washington, the evergreenhead state. And two weeks later, he's like, "Yep, I'm gone. See ya." Uh, so, I'm je- I'm pretty jealous, <laughs> man. I mean, if you know what sh- I mean, shooting widgeon down here when you hit a call and you've got a thirty pack right behind them, you know, and they're just yeah. bombing right in. That's how the mallards do it up there. It is hysterical i mean i was sitting there one day and i was on the phone with um i was on the phone with fishing game because we found two different websites with two different shoot times both were legit and uh one of them was i think it was like 440 and the other one was 410 and i'm on the phone with fishing game and it's 405 you know so we're good either way and i'm sitting there and i'm like hey man what time shoot time you know, and the guy goes, well, I, I don't know. I couldn't see it being 440. And I go, well, it says here it's 440 and it says here it's 410. I don't believe it's going to be 440, you know. And at 406, dude, I was I was on the phone with him and I go, hey, I, I got to go, dude. I'll figure this out later, you know. And I jump up. My <laughs> my buddy's calling in a, you know, 20 pack of mallards just bombing into the spread. And we jump up and just crush them. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. And look at the time. I was like 408. I go, we're good. Let's pack it up. Yeah. Let's leave. So, that is awesome. Yeah, you did, did it good anyway. So Yeah, they uh they definitely do it right, man. And I don't ever think California sees a big push of mallards like that, no matter what anybody wants to say, you know. I mean, right. I've seen it firsthand. Right. I think the agriculture has a lot to play in it. Um but it, I mean, it is what it is, you know. When you when you break it down to a conservation standpoint is Maybe there's a chance that they'll just flutter on into California, you know, and stay here as residents. You never know. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, I mean, 
Uh, right now, I mean, I'm I've today went out this morning and I mean, actually saw birds flying pretty much like all morning, which was really awesome to see because it's probably the first time I've seen birds moving, even when you know around walked out of there probably what eleven thirty and. There was still you're still getting some birds flying around, and I mean, and usually it's like shoot time, and within an hour it's like boom shuts off like a light switch. And today was actually the first time I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like birds are actually moving, working, and uh, so hopefully the the rest of these weeks here we got uh, I got some pretty good hunts lined up I think, and hopefully they pan out and. I mean, only we'll see what the future holds, but I got um, actually two uh, late season goose hunt. Uh, I set up with Asher Tolliver. He uh, owns, he's one of the owners of Die Bomb, and they're sending uh, two of their guys out, and they're going to document, film, and shoot some pictures of a, a late season hunt we got set up up in Chico. So that should be pretty interesting too. Hopefully we get on them for them, you know? No, hell yeah, dude. Like, uh, it's funny you said that. Cause I was just on the phone with like four different guys. Like, Hey, uh, here's how late season's going to go. So it's funny you brought that up. Cause we're all trying to get everything lined up just to, uh, just to go crush them. And it's funny cause the season's not even done yet. So I know. Right. But yeah, you definitely, I mean, I think that'll be a killer hunt regardless. How'd today's hunt go, though, dude? What'd you guys end up banging out? Uh, we shot 12 for two guys. We shot 12. Um, nothing, I mean, it was your California, you know, special platter, sampler. You know, uh, shot a lot of teal, cinnamon teal. Uh, there was a bunch of spoonies. I tried passing on as many as he could, but ended up shooting one. Shot a redhead, and uh, yeah, so twelve birds, and it, that was being picky at the beginning too, just to see what was gonna happen. I always do that, you know. I'm gonna be picky, and then thirty minutes in, you can tell how the, how it's gonna go, and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna start shooting anything. Yep. Because you know the big ducks. I mean, there was there's a widgeon. You heard the gadwall, but I mean. Some some later in the morning, birds got pretty weary. It was pretty cool though because the the fog was pretty thick in the morning. And then it burned off, and it turned into freaking tornadoes of birds everywhere. And then the fog rolled back in, and it shut down for a little bit. And I was like, "Is this it? Is it over?" And then kind of cleared up again. And then pff, again, like so, we kept it consistent all morning. But I mean, it was just your your California typical uh typical birds it, this was a this was private land too it was a uh, one of the my buddies he's a member of a club over in gustine and uh took me as a guest today so i i got to get up at like three o'clock instead of getting up at 1 30 <laughs> so it was kind of sleeping in hunt which was nice yeah hell yeah dude that's a what have you guys, I mean, how's the widgeon down there, dude? Because I had one really good shoot of widgeon. Well, actually, no. Let me retract yeah. retract that statement. I've had. I saw you. I saw you smoked. You got a seven drakes. Yeah. 
And and yeah. the I think that was the following weekend. We ended up shooting eleven on Saturday and then eleven or ten on Sunday. But man, the widget this year, it's like they turned on and then they turned off. And and yeah, I, I I'm I'm blown away with that because usually when you see the widget come down here, first you get the teal, you know, and then you definitely get the widget, the gaddies, and then it's lights out for the rest of the season. But this year, dude, like we have not shot all that many widget out of our blind, let alone the refuge. You know, I had that one good hunt, and then after that, it was kind of just like, mm, okay, yeah, we're done. Right. So how right. how are you guys doing down there with that? So, I mean, it it depends. I mean, I've been hunting the marsh a little more than I typically do. Like, I, me, I'm just, I don't know. I just kind of like my ways, and I, I stick to the rivers, the trees, you know. I, I mean, chase the mallards, and then we get, you know, when you hunt the rivers and those little uh, sloughs and stuff like that with the wooded sloughs and get wood ducks and mallards and, so I mean, widgeon you'll you'll get widgeon in there and stuff, but it's not as typical as like you would on the marsh. Um, I for the longest time in November didn't see a one widgeon. The first thing the first thing we were seeing was um, like the beginning of the, uh, the end of October when we had our opener and stuff was mostly like gadwalls and um, some mallards and. Uh, but and then it, after it shut off, I mean, I wasn't even seeing teal. No teal. Usually you got them like ten packs, fifteen packs, buzzing the the river and stuff, and uh, nothing. I, I haven't seen. I didn't see a widgeon until probably like the middle of November was the first time I saw a widgeon down here. Dude, we we haven't shot a teal in. God, I don't even know. Probably, before, really, probably before before we left to uh to go to Washington. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, besides that, dude. I mean, I'll send you some videos, man, of the sprig just doing it right at my blind. But it's like you jump up, shoot one, you got five thousand setting in your spread. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like you're just sitting there like, okay, try to pick out the widgeon, you know. Is there anything else in there? Like, I'll take a spoonie yeah. at this point, you know. We went out the... Like, uh, where's Waldo in a, a bunch of bunch of sprig, huh? It gets kind of dangerous. <laughs> you're playing with fire. Hey, man, it gets risky. Yeah, definitely. I uh, There were a couple shots, man, where it was like I jumped up and I went to shoot out a couple widgeon. And it's like, hold on, wait, there's sprig behind him. And then just come yeah. right back down, you know. So... We've definitely yeah. seen a massive influx of sprig on our side of the valley, at least. But uh, yeah, what do you think? What do you think about that? Like the the whole one sprig deal? Like you want my honest opinion? Yeah, really. I think we should be I able mean, to shoot four. Yeah, yeah. Hands down. I mean, I'm I'm very interested because I just talked to a buddy of mine actually earlier today who shot a uh, dude. He actually shot a banded widgeon today sent me a picture at eight o'clock and goes, Hey, check this out. You know? Cause we were just on the phone the other day and, uh, he's like, dude, I have yet to shoot a banded widgeon. And then of course today it happens. Right. So <laughs> he shot a banded widgeon. It was banded outside of Biggs, California. 
And I was like, okay, you know, so then we got on the topic of this whole banning program that's going on with Sprig because obviously a lot of Sprig are being banded in these past couple of years, what we've seen. And right. um, I don't know if they're, if they're limiting our numbers um, to have more bands put out there to see if they cross over into other flyways for next season. I heard through the grapevine is that we're going to be able to shoot two next year, which is, I mean, which I think is perfectly fine. I don't see why we shouldn't be able to shoot three or four, but, but at least two, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good. But at least two, uh, the, the numbers of sprig out. I mean, it's, I, I personally think that there's other species of birds that need, uh, a little more attention than the sprig. I mean, sometimes it's like, that's all you see. Yeah. And maybe it's because they want the numbers to increase before they can raise it, you know, or, I mean, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a, anything like that. And I, this is just my own personal like observation. So, but, uh, yeah, I I think the one's kind of ridiculous. Dude, I think that, so I heard, and I don't have any real backing to this. So for all the listeners out there, don't bash me on this. But I heard that they limited our sprig number to see if they would push into other flyways. And that's why okay. I and I kinda I kinda see how that is because they're doing a lot more banding when it comes to northern pintail. So maybe there right. there is a little bit of a uh, an analysis when it comes to that as to seeing other birds getting harvested who were banded in California getting harvested in like other states. Yeah. You know, I told I totally see that, you know, but unfortunately us here like everybody says this. Okay, yeah, we shoot mallards all the time. I want to shoot a sprig. I'm like, come to California. <laughs> you know? Right. Get after yeah. it. And that's the funny thing too, because you know, I talk to a lot of people from different parts of the country and some guys are like, wanna just I wanna kill a northern shoveler. And it's like, dude, <laughs> it's it's just it's like it has to do with your geographic area because birds that are crap to us people really want to shoot and birds that are abundant somewhere else we really want to i mean to shoot a blue wing teal out here in california is like oh my gosh i shot a blue wing teal but other states they're just like those that's nothing but a green wing is same thing those places don't really have the green wings but they're like a green wing is a blue wing to them so yeah, it's just it's wherever you are, you know, when in Rome, you got if you have people messaging you wanting to shoot spoonies, the, send them to me, dude. I, I, I got the <laughs> spots. Let's go. Y'all shoot yeah, all the spoonies you want. Trust me. Hands down. Seven Drake spoonies. Get after it. Like, yeah, you know, I'll wait for that one mallard. So how many bands have you shot? The. So I've shot two. I have yeah. I have three though. So I went. Where were they from? So two of them for were from around the Tule Lake Modoc area, and then uh-huh. one of them was from Durham, California. I have uh, two greenheads and a hen. Oh, cool! All mallards, huh? Yeah. So one of uh, the hen actually. Funny story. I had shot my first band um, on a scotch double with a pair of mallards. My buddy and I were kind of at odds that season because I was so juiced off of it. 
And then, um, so anyways, he ended up going to one spot on the refuge. I ended up going to another. I shot a snow goose that somebody had sailed to me. So I went, I threw her on the, I threw it on the tuli patch. I looked down and go, huh, what's that? You know, and pulled up a banded hen mallard. No way. Found a banded hen dead on this tuli patch. We had been hunting all year long. See, that's that. That's exactly. I mean, I probably was the one that shot it. Seriously, because it's like I always think about that. It's like boom, you shoot it, you lose it, and it's like that's the one. That's where know? a dog comes into play because they're banded. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if you all don't have a bird dog yet, you all should go and get some bird dogs. Okay. First off, go out. Go to birddogwaterfowl.com. Go grab yourself some gear. I know. Are you guys still having that sale going on? Uh, just the end of year one just ended. Oof. But, I mean, we could probably do a little something. If you want to shoot a little discount code to your listeners or something, we could set something up. Yeah, I mean, if, if you got a discount code, go ahead and holler it on out. Well, hopefully, you know, some guys get out there and go grab themselves some good gear. I know I wear an OG bird dog hat. Uh, when I hunt, God, I couldn't even tell you what type it is. It's kind of like a blotchy camo. It's sitting right here. So yeah. Let people know what's going on, man. Yeah. Let's do, um, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Hunting outlier 20 and we'll give 20% off. All right. You guys heard that hunting outlier 20, get yourself 20% off on bird dog, waterfowl apparel. Go check it out. Trust me. I have a bunch of hats. God, I, I shit. I got hats, glasses, stickers. If you all want, yeah, no. if you all want, you know, I do have these hats. They're brand spanking new stickers on them. I got glasses and stickers. Go ahead and send me a PM. Let me know what's going on. Maybe I'll send it out to you if I like what you guys got going on. So. Right on. So, yeah, dude. I mean, it, it, that was funny, though. That hen mallard, because I, I had just been on the phone with him, and he goes, he goes, you got any bands, you know? That's the first call we always give each other, you know? First text, first call. Any bands? Yeah. And uh, I, I'm like, hey, man, yeah, no bands. These guys are sailing me a snow goose real quick. Let me call you back. And 10 minutes, I call him back. I go, about that band, you won't believe it. <laughs> so, and I think she was banded in, uh, I think she was banded in Tule Lake or um, or Spring Lake, Oregon. I've got to I've gotta look at the cert again. But, yeah, I mean... Yeah, Tip. that's cool. I've never shot a band mallard, dude. I've 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 shot only I've only shot two bands, and they're like, the first one was this. It's so obscure. <clears throat> it's a funny story behind it too. I'll tell you if you want. Um, I was out hunting. It was only shoot last season was my first band. After all these years of hunting, I was just like, what the heck is going on, you know? And then went out. It was January, went out um, to hunted the Augustine Gun Club with uh, a buddy of mine. He's a member there. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to take you to this hole. You know, it produces some mallards sometimes. And we go out, and it was just a sucky morning. Like, literally one pack of teal came through, raised up. I dumped one. He sent his dog, and that was it. Shut off. We only shot that one teal. His dog brought it back, handed it to him, he, and he just stuffed it in his bag. And um, we went and hunted a different spot, went back to his uh, place over there, 
and I was getting ready to leave, and he's like, you take the bird, and I was like, no, I'll just keep it. It's one, one teal, you know, go ahead. And he just he grabs it out and throws it to me. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Threw it in my truck, drove home, left it in my truck for about two hours, came, took a shower and everything. And I was like, ah, I better get that bird out. Go and grab it. And I look, and I was like, I was like, what the? I thought he was playing a fucking trick on me. You know, like, <laughs> I thought, like, I seriously, like, that's why he was, like, trying to get me to take it, you know, because he freaking snuck a, like, a stupid band on it or something. And I looked at it, and I, I called him, and I was like, um, did you ever look at that bird? No. I was like, it's banded. So he's like, no way. And I sent him a picture. So it was a banded green wing. And I, uh, I looked it up and it's freaking from, uh, it's called pilot station, Alaska, which is like literally the closest you can get to Russia. Jeez. And it was, uh, a couple years old. So, I mean, that guy's made it made a pretty big trip, you know? Yeah in his lifetime and then uh, i shot on opening day this year a uh, banded gadwall in oregon that was banded like literally in siskiyou county which is based or doris oregon which is or california which is basically like yep. 30 miles south yeah dude that's a so you brought up alaska and russia my buddies went out and they were hunting what the weather station said was arctic winds my buddy ended up shooting a banded widgeon out of fairbanks alaska and wow. and then um he ended up a couple years a couple years ago i think it was a uh, two years ago he was driving down the road and uh looked and looked in the canal and there was a sailed snow goose in there he sent his dog after it was banded from russia Russian, huh? Yep. Yeah. So. You know what's funny is like you'll hear guys in Washington and Oregon shooting these banded like these banded ducks from Japan. Yeah. Like in the in the states, which is crazy. I mean, imagine the trip that bird had. Yeah. I mean, some of them. I I heard a story. One of them from Japan. The guy shot, and it was banded in like the seventies. I mean, this bird's it was that was like ten years ago or something, right? But Still, the bird the bird was like uh, almost like thirty years old. Jeez. I forget what it was. I forget what it was, but I mean that's that's a really old, really old bird. Yeah, I mean I've heard I've heard canvas back getting shot. You know, being twenty something years old, and those are just a stud. I mean, imagine how many spreads that thing has seen. You know. Yeah, so. I think the oldest snow goose they or um. Canada, someone was just talking about this, was like 32 or 33 years old. Jeez. That was banded, right? So you, that's the only way to tell is if it's banded. But, I mean, think about all the birds that don't get banded. If there's some that are older than that, you know, you never know. <clears throat> yeah, that's crazy. I, dude, I'm on the hunt for a banded sprig, and the amount of sprig I kill every year is absurd. You know, I'll go out, I'll shoot my single limit. Or my one bird a day, and then yeah. uh, come back. I'll eat that thing, and I'm still like every time I shoot a bull sprig, I'm just like, is it banded? No, is it banded? No, you know. But uh, yeah, I heard just the other was it? What was that? Two years ago, I think there was an article put out by a CWA saying that a couple guys down at the uh, the Bering Ranch actually shot banded sprig that were banded in Hawaii. And, wow. And uh, don't quote me on this, okay, guys? Just, uh, 
If I don't have my facts straight, okay, whatever, so be it. But um, yeah, don't quote me on any of this either. I'm just like, <laughs> this, <laughs> I mean, I could be making this up for all all you guys know. You know word of like, word of mouth, right? I once shot yeah, a banded just, spoonie from North we're Korea. All these rumors. Yeah, <laughs> we're just starting all these rumors. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I mean, but I'm I'm 90% positive I read an article saying that it was banded from Hawaii, and I was kind of blown away because the past couple times I've been to Hawaii, you know, I'm always like, hey, what do these rice fields have? And then I talk to a guy, and he goes, dude, these aren't rice fields. These are shrimp fields. And I go, <laughs> and I looked at him, I was like, huh, like sh- hunting, sh- you know, flooded shrimp fields. I go, that sounds pretty cool, you know, so. Yeah, those birds probably taste like, uh crap though huh i don't know man throw some garlic on it tastes pretty good either way right yeah yeah so yeah so what are your plans for the rest of the season for you dude uh kind of finish out the year i actually have a reservation for a refuge here first one of the year out of the group and uh it's uh it's not really a good one so we're just going to slide through with it and see what happens. And then uh, after that, pretty much hunting the rice blind, maybe going to the refuge a couple times. And then, uh, like I said earlier, is we're already kind of looking at what our late season goose is going to be like. Um, got a couple yeah. guys, you know, uh, Tangle Free right now is having a big sale. So if you all haven't gotten any decoys, if you're trying to make a goose spread, I'll tell you what. Go ahead, head on over to TangleFree.com. Get yourself some socks and whatnot and go to town because that's what we're doing. And um, it's a uh, – yeah, man, building a goose spread is a lot different than building a duck spread. I'll tell you what. I'll kill more ducks on six decoys than I will geese on six decoys. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, that's it's pretty amazing how that works. So we're, we're going to see what's going on. Uh, what about you? What do you got going on? Um, I got – as of right now, I got a couple reservations coming up on uh, two different refuges around here. I'm not gonna spill the beans, but uh, one of them, one of them's pretty, pretty good. I'm pretty excited about. We'll see what happens, and um, so do that. But I mean, I've been utilizing my boat uh, this season a lot because uh, you can hunt the river out here seven days a week so the offshoot days it just you play play the weather instead of just having to go saturday sunday or wednesday kind of deal you know you can kind of hopefully increase your odds and you know that adds another whole another experience just like a dog you know getting to shoot the canals and dodge stumps and all that stuff and uh, so that got that planned out and then hopefully hopefully kill some birds and put some meat in the freezer because i mean i started off giving a lot away because i was like oh yeah this is gonna be great you know season it started it was going good and i'm like oh man what the heck am i doing (laughs) so i gotta gotta stock up a little yeah that's why that's why we're looking at uh kind of building our goose spread is because just the lack of ducks that i've kind of wanted to play i mean um this has been a season for us that has been a pretty consistent, actually, you know, like we'll go out to the blind, you know, me and a buddy and we'll shoot eight birds, you know, 
and then um, some days we'll have lights out, and then other days it's like we're we're lucky if we shoot our two sprig, you know, and uh, yeah. But it's been it's been pretty consistent overall. But I mean, developing a goose spread right now has been kind of a pain in the ass. But uh, we're trying to put meat in the freezer, so yeah. Get those white geese, huh? Kill whitey. Specs, man. Specs. All about specs. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Those, I mean, if snows are going to do it right on, but definitely we're, uh, we're deaf. I I love the specs. I I totally agree with you, but. And the specs did it right the other day at our blind. I don't know what it is. Uh, we're not in the, um, we're not in that closed zone of the valley. So we can shoot. Oh yeah, we can shoot specs all year long. Yeah, where does that cut off? I think that, I, I think it's um around Delvin, Sacramento, uh, National Wildlife Refuge. Again, don't quote me on this. I no, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't hunt that area, so I don't have to worry about it. I can shoot tar bellies all year long. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, uh, the specs, dude. They did it right the other day. We uh. We were in the rice blind, saw a group of 12 spec do it, and uh, they, you know, hit them with a couple calls, and then once we started just wailing on the calls, which is a good tactic for everybody going out right now. If you guys want to go kill spec with that closed zone area of the Sacramento Valley, um, these specs seem to be doing it right. So give it a couple calls, see you know, see what they're doing, and uh, we were wailing on them, dude, and we had a big... 12 pack come right in just do it nasty we couldn't shoot worth a shit <laughs> so that's just part of the game you know we got a little too a little too hyped on the specs just doing it right and uh yeah i know you get that little that little jitter right before you know you little ants ants in your pants and you're like and then you're like ah, i'm kicking yourself a minute after you're like oh god yeah and we had just brushed the blind too and we're sitting there and you know, I'm I'm sitting there looking at my buddy Austin, and he goes, "Man, the specs won't see us coming." And then about ten minutes later, you know, we had that happen, and we started. We just burst out laughing like they didn't see us coming at all, but we couldn't shoot worth a shit. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> worked out for them. Yeah, I guess so, man. So, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Uh, late season, we might be bouncing around a little bit. We're kind of interested into. Uh, Going up to the Tule Lake, Lower Klamath area, try and chase those geese. Um, yeah. Also, get in contact with another guy who invited us out. So we'll see, we'll see what that's all about, man. Hopefully, the season ramps up a little bit in these next couple of weeks. We're not looking at any weather coming on through. So I know it's, it's almost over. Can you believe that, man? It's over before it began. It feels like yeah, you know it's a. Uh, I know a lot of guys have been going out there, though, and crushing some birds. But uh, if you guys are out there and you guys are staying consistent, no matter what state or flyway you're in, then right on to you. Because here, for us at least, it's been hit or miss. But, I mean, at the same time, it's kind of been consistent, I guess. Yeah. I know, yeah. And, uh, you know, I I kind of like – I think I'm more uh, hard on myself than I, it really is, too, you know. But just because I know the – the standard so basically i'm not saying it's like zero birds zero bird. it's just it's just uh a little different than than normal i would say yep it, especially because i think november too um 
man, everybody calls November Slovember. And uh, November, I do probably about 80% of my killing or harvesting, whatever yeah, term you yeah. want to use. November has been usually really good to me because you can draw reservations. You can, uh, I mean, literally, if you, you know, go put in for a lotto at a refuge and there's like 10 guys in it, you know, and instead of now, late season, you're where I hunt, like, I don't know right now, but maybe like 120 people put in. But it's been different this year since you can only put it put in at one refuge too. So do you think so? I I was running a little bit of a conspiracy with everybody around the club. I was like, I think they're gonna stay with that. What do you think? I hope they do. I hope they do. Okay. They used to do it. I heard. So it used to be a thing, and then, but I I think it's actually better because I've noticed that it. It, it makes people hunt where they want to hunt. And um, I, it just takes those numbers away. Instead of just going and saturating the lottos where, and you're filling them up and then people not showing up and you're, then you draw a bad number, even though they're not showing up, it still gives you, it gives you a more accurate idea of where you're going to be in the morning, you know? And, it shows who's really wants to hunt there because you only have that one opportunity to put in where you want to go instead of just being like, hopefully I draw something good somewhere in this whole area and just driving around all night putting in. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's a, I think it was a, a good thing and I, I, I kind of dig it. I know some guys don't and I mean, it's just personal opinion, but personally I kind of like it. Dude, I, and I hope they do stay with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of torn between it because it's like, okay, cool, like the lottery numbers are low, and then at the same time, it's like, man, I can't put in at multiple refuges. So, yeah, I I definitely see that because um, at a lot of the refuges we hunt, you know, those lottery numbers went from 130 to 30. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm seeing too. So I think it's a it's a little bit. I think it's better in the sense of, like you said, is it kind of makes people dedicate themselves to one area as opposed to uh, flooding the rest of the numbers. Right. So. And I think they're probably going to see a benefit from it. And uh, I I think they'll keep it that way. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest benefit that old refuges could see in the next couple of years is uh, just growing mass amounts of flooded corn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah i think I'm, corn's one of the biggest thing i mean everybody loves corn right you like popcorn k the white tail love corn the mule deer love corn i was like corn everywhere screw the rice corn but uh one of my buddies one of my buddies was saying um a, a prerequisite to hunt with him is um the night before whoever's hunting with him has to eat three cans of corn just so in the morning you go out and you know, do your business out in the water and just, just, uh, basically bait them. Chum, chum the water. I'm, sign me up. Yeah. Get me in touch with that guy. Let's do this. You just gotta, you gotta eat a, a bunch of corn before you go. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty funny, man. How, how corn just, how corn affects wildlife is just crazy. So. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what do you got? You're pretty much uh, just going to cruise through. Got a couple resis. Uh, going to see what happens, huh? Yeah, and that's that's about it. And then, I mean, for me, this, the season, 
ends, but I mean, this, the business doesn't, you know? And I, so, I mean, I, I'm living it 24, seven, 365 days, which is actually cool, you know, because even in the off season, I'm still working on ducks or waterfowl and, um, you know, just planning for the next season with, um, gear, trying to come up with new, um, products and designs and this and that. So, I mean, I stay busy year round with the ducks, which is, uh, good for me because if I was, didn't have this or anything, I'd probably, you know, be doing some something stupid, Yeah. but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I keep, keep it on cruise control all year round. So, well, you guys also make your own calls, right? So, uh, yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's go back to what's going on with Bird Dog for a little bit. So you guys actually make your own calls, which I think is pretty interesting because I think you guys are, uh, I know a lot of companies out there, typically CNC, um, their calls. You guys do what's called cold casting, correct? Yeah. So let's go, yeah. ru- run everybody through what cold casting is. So cold casting is um, basically you will – you could take a prototype or your, say you have your acrylic um, call that, I mean, uh, you turned on a lathe or you CNC'd. Um, the, the only thing with the CNC is just it's more specific, like the parameters on it and everything. But um, <clears throat> what we do is small batch cold cast. And um, so cold casting is basically, you're, it's a, we use a high-grade polymer. So that's what keeps the price down on the call, but it's still, it's a lot more dense than your just typical, like, um, call you'd pick. I don't want to name any other companies' names or anything, but that you would just pick up and be that cheap little polymer kind of, um, one of your first duck calls kind of deal. Um, but we do, it's, it's basically an inject injection mold. And, uh, so you're, you're injecting, and then um, it's basically the you run the mold, and um, what it does is basically there's no you don't see any seams. Basically, you know when you mold something, you get that seam line and everything. What it is is it's a it's a solid piece, and um, it's injected. And um, does that kind of make sense? It's it's kind of hard to to fully explain, but. Uh, yeah, it's a very, I think it's a, uh, first off, I think the quality control with the calls when it comes to, I mean, seeing the seams, you know, when you imagine you're taking two pieces, let's say, of a cast and you're putting them together, you're going to see that seam. But in this process, right. you don't see that at all. It's a, uh, it's pretty unique. And I think a lot of calls um, could maybe yeah, lean a little towards that. Piece. Yep. Yeah. So, which makes no weak point in the, in the, call basically there's, there's no because any anywhere there's a seam there's going to be it, it's going to that's going to be your stress point your that's where something's going to fail on it and um but after that um the, the can you hear me yeah yeah sorry after that um the calls come out and the, then they're hand tuned and um run uh pretty vigorously to make sure everything's uh to our standards and then go out same with the goose calls too same exact uh, process 
Are you guys now in your duck calls? Are you running a single read, a double read? Are you running a straight read or a dog eared? So it's a dog eared, a single read is what we're doing because uh, that's basically the the best sound we've gotten out of. I did do a double read for a while, and it just I think. Uh, the way these calls and the tone board and the inserts are not they're they're our own inserts they're not um i mean you you can't just go um buy one and pop one in our barrels or anything that's not it's it's a completely 100 percent custom call designed from the ground up and um but it's a dog-eared dog-eared single read um and um the Tolerance on, uh, I can't think of right now. I, I can't think of it right now. But um, yeah. Well, sorry, for, I lost my train. Of thought. That's fine. For the for the listeners out there, out there, um, if you don't know the anatomy of a duck call, when it comes to a tone board, is you have uh, there's so many variables that go into it. Um, I'm not a call maker. Well, I I am, but I'm not. Um, I, I do make some calls in my free time. You can go out, you can get a jig for your tone board, which is where the reed and the reed holder sit. And you can change that pitch by filing it down by hand. Essentially what he's saying right now is there is no jig out there on the market that will match their pitch on the tone board. So, and each tone board is going to be unique and by hand tuning them, it adds a, bit of you bit more uniqueness to the call itself so it's uh there's right. there's something to check out guys especially if you're in the market for a new call go check them on out so yeah we try to get them as uh close you're never gonna get two of the exact same calls i mean the mold is the same every time but just from when you get into that hand tuning part you're never gonna have you can pick up two of the same calls and you're never going to have the exact, exact, exact. Um, I know a lot of guys kind of want to go for that too when in their call making. That's why they do the CNC, right? Because you get the exact same thing every single time. Yep. Whereas we're going for, I mean, trust me, the call is going to be ducky. It's not, you know, you're not going to pick one up and be like, this is a dud. They're all going to be great. and um, But you're just never going to have that... Uh, that exact uh, same same call, you know. Yep, and I think a lot of people too, when it comes to <clears throat> picking up the call to begin with, is, I mean, I may run something that Kelly runs differently. You know, he may like that call, and I may hate that call. So maybe swap a readout, trim a little off, don't dog ear it. You know, you gotta fiddle around with it to make it a hundred percent, you know, not saying that the tone board's not 50% of the equation, but I'm saying is that the read is 50% as well. So be able to, you know, give yourself a little bit of variance and find what's going to benefit you and what you're going to be able to run. I mean, your buddy may not run it, but your buddy's not running the call. So does that matter? No, you're running the call. Are you killing birds on it? Right on. Keep it going. You know? And at, yeah, and at the price we we sell them at, like at full price, you're not even going to lose anything. What you're going to do is you're going to pick up a, a very good call, which should be probably 
uh, double the price if, if you're asking me personally. But um, I want to do right for the customers, make them feel happy, and um, give them something quality and something that's not going to break the bank on them either. And they're going to be able to pick it up straight out of the box and put it up to their mouth and call ducks in. Yeah, and I mean, like he said, Doc's price, he just gave a discount code away too. Get after it, guys. I mean, what else could you ask for, you know? Get yourself a pair of hat. I mean, get yourself a pair of glasses, a hat, a call. Get after it, you know? So the glasses are pretty new, though, man. So what what made you start doing those? Because I have, I think it's the Boss Man, and I think those are my favorite, the Boss Man's. Um, Dude. Yeah. Great. I wear the I wear the backwoods ballers. And uh those I mean I I came up, you know, I, I uh have a a guy here in Gilroy that uh you know that they uh do glasses and stuff and kind of uh they have their own their own company and everything and I was just kind of curious talking about it and I was like, "You know what? That's it's it's a good um a good uh product to offer for outdoorsmen and just we went over it and the um you know i was like it's got to polarized and it the quality it has to stand up to wear and tear and um personally it's what i wear it myself you know and if i if i say yeah and then i mean everything kind of worked out with running the numbers and I was like, let's do it. I want, I want bird dog sunglasses. So then that just opened up a whole nother avenue. And I mean, it's fun. And you know, um, the biggest part is, is that it gets more people involved in the brand and the name bird dog that typically wouldn't just be buying calls. Right. It, it, it opens the avenue up to, um, your non hunters out there too. And, um, that's, that's basically, what I saw it for was to um, get get some awareness and uh, um, brand name recognition, but also to be like, oh, these guys are you know hunters, and then they start asking about you know hunting and conservation, and then it just opens up a whole uh, conversation about you can go into just basically what we've been talking about, you know, about the the whole habitat and everything about. So it's just it's an, another avenue for. In the end, I guess what I want to promote is conservation. For I mean, I don't, I don't, I want my kids, kids, kids to be able to hunt and have this have land opportunities that we have. Because I mean, if we keep losing it at the rate we're at, then how long is this going to last? Yep. No, I I totally agree with that. I think that. I mean, the hunting heritage is slowly getting chipped away. And I think being able to promote that into, I mean, it's tough. So when yeah. when you're looking at it, and I, I totally see where you're looking at it from, is when you're trying to promote your product to the non-hunter, that is a step in itself that is very, very tough. You know, but being able to have multiple products on the table to allow people to enjoy them, whether they hunt or not, you know, I think that's I think that's great. So right, 
and it just opens up an avenue to oh even just awareness if you can if you can maybe educate someone who didn't know or was closed-minded or didn't see things or know facts about what's going on with uh, the whole uh, conservation at first and everything, it just opens up a whole avenue to, to have that discussion. Yeah. Yes, it does. So. All right, dude. Yeah. We're uh we're looking at about an hour and ten minutes right now, so uh, I'm gonna have to call it because I gotta go take a shower and feed the dogs again. So sounds good. Yeah, I'm gonna hit the hay. I'm gonna get up and uh hopefully smack them in the morning, but we shall see. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on and being a guest here. Um, everybody. If you haven't already, go follow Bird Dog. It's at Bird Dog Waterfowl for Instagram, birddogwaterfowl.com. Go check them out. They gave a discount code. If you don't know what it is, it is the Hunting Outlier 20. So go ahead, check it on out, and uh, go to town. So Yeah, and um, you want to... Can you put that on your like uh, description on the podcast too? The are you able to do that? Oh yeah, yeah. I can I can do anything. Just attach the code so people. Yep, and I'll I'll link the website on there too. See if I can do that, and uh, we'll go to town. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And um, I'm sorry it wasn't sooner. I know we were been playing tag. I know you're busy. I'm busy, and uh, we finally linked up, which is good. I'm I'm sorry for uh you know, bouncing around on you. Yeah, dude, don't worry about it. It's hunting season. It is what it is. Trust me. I got guys all around right now who are just like, yeah, I'll come on. And then it's like three weeks. Like, Hey man, like, how are you doing? So yeah, dude, I'm not, I'm not too worried. I'm going to edit this little in section out anyways, but, uh, dude, thank you a lot for, uh, coming on and everything. So yeah. Thank you. All right, dude. I'll talk to you. Yeah, definitely. All right. See ya. All right, take it easy.